What is happening, friend? Thank you for tuning into Balanced Black Girl. My name is Les, and I am your host. And Balanced Black Girl is where we come, we kiki, we find our balance, and we get our lives together, together, mainly through taking a look at our habits and making the best, most informed decisions for us. And I'm really happy you're here. For the past five weeks, we've been talking about money, financial wellness, mindfulness, money habits, protecting ourselves financially, and building wealth. As someone who is a consistent consumer of content in the personal finance space, I've noticed there's a lot of shifts happening, particularly when we talk about wealth accumulation and the types of assets available to us. It's no secret that technology is an important part of our lives. You're likely listening to this podcast on a smartphone or a computer. You probably use technology in your daily life. And for many people looking to make career pivots, tech is a hot industry that folks want to get into. It's becoming increasingly clear that technology is really important for many of our livelihoods. And I'll be honest, I'm not the most (laughs) techie. There's a lot about technology that I don't understand, particularly when it comes to assets such as cryptocurrency, the transition to Web3, NFTs as an investment, and how the creator economy is going to be impacted by all of this. But I knew we would be remiss to talk about money without talking about the future of money and where it could be going. So I was excited to bring on someone who knows a lot more about this stuff than I do, my friend Grace McJones. Grace is a Nigerian-American technologist, podcaster, and a Zero Cloud engineer at Microsoft. She's a STEM advocate for underrepresented groups and is passionate about democratizing technology through mentoring, speaking at tech events, and volunteering with tech organizations such as Black Girls Code, Women Who Code, and DigiGirls. She's also the host of the Tech Unlocked podcast, which aims to demystify and diversify the tech industry by giving people of color the keys they need to unlock their successful tech careers. And in addition to all of that, she's the founder of Women of Color in Emerging Tech, which is a community helping women of color onboard into Web3 and beyond. Grace is hands down one of the smartest people I know, and I'm so grateful to have learned more about these emerging technologies and the potential to help us build wealth from her. So please let me introduce you to Grace so that we can chat more about how technology impacts our wealth. Grace, thank you for joining me. Welcome. I One of my favorite things is having people on the podcast that I know in real life. And so I'm super happy to have you here, happy to catch up. It's been a while since we've been in Seattle and and running in the circles there. So I'm happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Les. It's kind of like a full circle moment because I remember when I wanted to start my podcast and I reached out and you were just such a, a gem of wealth of knowledge. And so I am so grateful to kind of like be on the podcast and just share all the knowledge that I have. Absolutely. Well, I'm happy to have you. You are killing it. You are a like tech queen. <laughs> You've had an amazing career in tech, but even more than that, you are really doing a lot of incredible work to support the community around you and to get more of us in tech, which I think is incredible. Um, What inspired your initial interest in technology? Yeah. So for those who don't know me, I'm a Nigerian-American technologist, immigrant podcaster, futurist, optimist. Um, And Unlike most people, for me growing up, when people ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, I really hated that question because I didn't know. And I felt like I had a lot of different interests. And so I didn't really 
think about technology until college, right? Um, it's funny, I saw a video on AfroTech page where like this guy was like, you were in you know, CS class and you, ha- you didn't start coding in like high school, all that kind of stuff. And that's so funny to me because that was like my reality of being in college in my first computer science class, CS. And people are like, wow, you've never co- coded before. I'm like, no, like I haven't. <laughs> um, but how I got into tech, I'm going to go through like a short story. It was basically, I've always been a creative person, right? Um, and I had worked doing photography, design. And I remember in the office, because I worked on campus, working on something in Photoshop. And I was going through just the motions. But then I was like, wow, like this is so cool that there's a software that, that allows me to get paid. And so I was like, wow, like if I wanted to edit a, a button to, you know, the software or create my own, like how would I do that? Obviously with done Google, like most people, I'm like, okay, how was Photoshop created? And then I saw it was created through a programming language. I'm like, what's a programming language? What is that? And then just literally went into the rabbit hole of just like research because I was just curious about it. And after that, initially I was studying international um, relations, international business, and I had taken a few years off of college. And then when I decided to go back to college, I went to community college for a while and then went back to a full um, four-year university. I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to study this. Like I want to be able to create things that have impact on people, but mostly creative people. I didn't really know what I was doing. All I knew was that, you know, they said, if you wanted to learn how to code, study computer science. And I was like, bet, let me just do that. And so that's kind of like a simple story. Uh, but from then on, like so many doors have opened, so many opportunities have come from just being able to go through that route. It wasn't an easy route because a lot of people around me been studying computer science and have family and tech and things like that. So it was really just putting one foot in front of the other and figuring things out and leaning towards my curiosity. Yes. I feel like every episode that we do here, at some point we talk about curiosity being the spark of inspiration for something. But there's so many parts that I loved about your story. One, that it's never too late to try something or to learn something, even with people being like, oh, you didn't take CS classes in high school. It's like, no, that's what I'm here to learn. So (laughs) I can still learn now, even if I didn't do it then. And also big shout out to community college. I love that you shared that with us and included that in your story. Because I think actually one of my biggest financial mistakes, I mean, this series is all about money, which we'll get into, was not going to community college. And one of my biggest regrets, and I actually think community college is amazing and can lead to amazing learning and careers. So I love that that was part of your journey. Yeah, it's amazing how things have changed right now. I know like a few years ago, going to community college was kind of like, ew, what? Like, you know, people are like, you didn't go to a full year of college. And now everyone's like, no, I want to save some money, like take all the gen eds, take, you know, as many classes as I can. And I didn't go for like all two years. I went for like maybe a semester or two until I found out what I wanted to do. But then I didn't waste a lot of money um, just going to stay at a four-year college. But I think a lot of people now probably know there are different ways to get into where you want to go to, whether that's in tech or in a different industry. But it's like, find a way that fits you and don't really care about what other people say because everyone's journey is different. Amen to that. And I love that you were like, okay, I'm going to do this while I figure out what I want to do. And then when I know what I want to do, I'll go to the four-year school. I'll pay that money or do that. That's just so smart. I so wish I would have done that. (laughs) So as I mentioned right now on the podcast, we're in our abundance series. We're talking about money. We're talking about financial wellness. And it was really important to me in this series to include a conversation around new forms of currency and new ways of building wealth. I think for a lot of people working in tech, 
is a big part of that. We see a lot of people talk about being in tech on social media because a big part of that draw is that it is a field that is often well compensated, that you can often receive uh, equity stocks in a company, which can help us really leverage and begin to build wealth. And there's also new forms of currency that are kind of coming to light and that are evolving as we speak, such as cryptocurrency and things that I think are really, really important to understand that I personally do not understand. <laughs> so I'm excited to ask you some very like basic questions to learn more about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation because I feel like a lot of people are saying things, but sometimes it don't relate to our community or they say it in a sense of trying to just get the best out of you and it's not fully discussed from the risk involved. Uh, and so whenever I do get a chance to talk about, you know, cryptocurrency and what's happening with our web through NFTs, I'm like, hey, let's have a full conversation, but in a balanced way, to be honest, no pun intended, because it's new. There's a lot of risk involved um, and there are different ways to build wealth, not just by buying or flipping or things like that. So I'm really happy and excited to have this conversation. Amazing. I'm excited. And I love that you talked about risk because I think in any type of investment, whether you're investing in crypto, whether you're investing in stocks, whether you're investing in real estate, how you go about that very much has to do with your risk tolerance. How much do you have to lose? And that's an important part of the equation because I think sometimes the messaging can very much prey on people who who need resources and it can only frame it as like, here's a way to make X, Y, Z, but you have to factor in risk tolerance into that equation. And I think in our community specifically, for those of us who maybe aren't coming from as much generational wealth or who may not have those same safety nets, we have to factor that into our risk assessment. Yeah, 100%. And I think for me personally, that's what got me, a part of what got me really into learning more about cryptocurrency because the people that I was seeing on TikTok and YouTube, like all the crypto bros, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. Like, what are you all talking about? And so it took me a few months to really get down to what the core was of why people are actually interested in this, why people are invested in this, um, and not to get like scammed or FOMO in. And so I think like to your point, there's a lot of risk involved in this. And I think the more that you're educated and aware, the more you can kind of navigate this new territory of, you know, cryptocurrencies and other new emerging technologies. Absolutely. Emerging technologies. That's the word. That's like the correct terminology that I was looking for, but didn't have. <laughs> um, I got you. So let's like, thank you. Let's like break this all the way down and get to the nuts and bolts of these emerging technologies. So first super like base level question would be what is cryptocurrency? Yeah, so cryptocurrency is a type of currency that is built on blockchain technology. And people are like, okay, what is that? So blockchain technology is basically a distributed ledger in a sense where think about back in the day, like way back when, when people traded or bought something, they wrote it down somewhere, right? Because there were computers, you know, and then when we had computers, we had to enter data of how much, okay, this person gave me or I borrowed this person. It wasn't a centralized kind of like structure. So banks, banks have all our transaction records and things like that. Now with blockchain technology, there's an opportunity to have this interaction or records on um, a technology that's transparent. That means you can see what happens. Um, you're able to also have data ownership of what is being shared. Um, and it's kind of taking power away from the bank saying like, hey, like you can restrict me from receiving X amount of money or say I can't, you know, 
put you know this amount of money here or send it somewhere else. And so if you think about traditional money like fiat, you know, which is a dollar, a lot of times, let's say like you were trying to send money to another country, there, there's something called the exchange rate or currency rate, right? So a dollar right now in America, obviously it's not a dollar in the euro. Because of the pandemic and inflation, apparently for the first time in about like a few years, like the euro is underneath the dollar, which is crazy. And so, but with cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or even Ethereum, if I send someone in Nigeria one Bitcoin, it's one Bitcoin. It doesn't change based on that country. And I, I feel like there's so much that goes into this part of it called DeFi, decentralized finance. And decentralization just means basically that there's not one entity that has the power um, to kind of change records or to kind of like make any changes. So it's between a peer-to-peer network, like it's between a group of people. So let me give another example for like something that's called centralized. Right now, social media is centralized in probably two or three companies, mostly Facebook and Instagram. But and so if they go down, guess what? Everything that, you know, we do on Instagram, you know, on Facebook, on even WhatsApp, like it's all going down because it's on a centralized platform. And so yeah, with that happened a few months ago. Yeah, it happened back yeah. in, I think, October 2020, 21, where for like six hours, everyone was freaking out, you know. People couldn't post on Instagram, content creators, businesses lost money. And I think that was a big eye opener because people were like, wow, like if one of those big companies were ever to go down or get hacked or whatever, there is a lot of risk involved. Um, and so now people are looking for like, okay, how do we build something that is decentralized? And that's what, you know, jumping ahead of myself, like Web3 really means, which is like the next phase of the internet or third phase of internet built on blockchain technology that is decentralized. We're not fully there yet. People like to say we're on Web 2.5 because all these (laughs) new things are being built. But that's kind of the ideology of what that looks like. So coming back to your question about cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency is basically a currency that's built on the blockchain. When it comes to currency that's built on the blockchain, is that something that anyone is able to access? How do we access what's there? Yeah, so accessing cryptocurrency, all you need to do is set up a wallet. A lot of people, there's a misconception that, oh, I have to have like millions, millions of dollars to enter into this world. And it's basically like investing in stocks, right? In a sense, a couple of things are different. Um, And obviously everything you see on here is not financial advice, so definitely do your own research. Let's say I wanted to, you know, buy right now a Bitcoin it's definitely in the red because we're in the beer market. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a couple of thousands of dollars. So it's extremely, if you're not in the financial means to buy one Bitcoin, but you can also buy a fraction of a cryptocurrency. And that's what I've done. Like when I got started, I just literally $5, <laughs> worth of Bitcoin on Cash App. That's how easy it was for me. I'm like, let me just go through the process of learning what everyone is talking about. But what is also interesting is that, you know, you can go through traditional platforms like Cash App or you can open a crypto wallet. Now, in the Web3 space or, you know, the decentralized version of the Internet, your crypto wallet is kind of like your identity, right? And that's why people see Web3 being much more secure, much more safe, because I don't have to log in, you know, put in my email, password, name, identifiers and things like that. I can literally just put my crypto address, which usually is like a long string characters of several um, words. And then it's like I have access to like connect my wallet. Boom, I'm in. I'm able to buy things or able to buy NFTs. I'm able to do X, Y, Z. 
And in that sense, there is no one entity that has my personal data. I can carry that along with me, which is one of those philosophies with Web3 and NFTs and crypto that people like, where it's like, I have some form of ownership on my data and I don't have to give that up in order to interact with the internet or to interact with different platforms. Got it. That is really, really interesting. So it sounds like almost removing the the gatekeepers around all of this information. I mean, it sounds like crypto is kind of removing banks as the gatekeepers of our money and what we can do with our money and how much we can access and and where we can send it to. And it's creating a more streamlined version of that. Yes. And it's interesting because when all this started, obviously, you know, Bitcoin and, you know, Ethereum, these are not super like new currencies in a sense, but it's now gaining mainstream to a certain extent adoption or mainstream attention. I would say attention, not adoption. And it's taking over the past few years for even payment, traditional payment system like PayPal, Visa to come around to say like, hey, okay, now you can accept crypto as payment. Like, let's say, you know, I'm a creator, content creator. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to get payment in cash. Like, I want to get it in crypto. Now they have enabled all those things to happen because they see where the future is going and they want to make sure that they don't get left behind. But it took a couple of years, you know, for them to say, hey, like, we want to do something that's different. And I think out of all of this, it's just the ability to have options, right? If I want to, like, be able to collect a certain crypto amount or a certain type of crypto as a creator, why should not have the ability to do so? And with all of this, obviously, because there isn't a lot of control, it feels like the wild, wild west, right? Because people are like definitely scamming folks, you know, people are definitely <laughs> money laundering. I'm going to say it, it is definitely happening uh, because there's that freedom now. So you say like, hey, through this way, I can do X, Y, Z. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of people are also diversifying the folio. I was in a conference in, in Austin called Consensus a few months ago and two chains, the rapper, I was like, yeah, he bought a Bitcoin for all of his kids. And he's like, let him just, just sit there. Because mm-hmm. cryptocurrency right now, it's definitely unstable. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. And so he, but he's like, yeah, like that's a different asset that I'm just going to have for them. Because who knows what it would be 10 years from now, 20 years from now. So I think when it comes to this new world of cryptocurrency and things are different, I think having a long-term view is very, very important than just saying like, hey, I'm going to get into this, flip it, be rich, and, you know, it's lit. <laughs> Nah, it doesn't happen for most right. people. Sometimes you can see like the crypto bros saying like, yeah, like buy this X amount of, you know, altcoins um, or pour your, you know, 401k. Please don't. If you can't pay your rent, <laughs> please prioritize your needs <laughs> and everything. And I think yes. that a lot of people just get caught up in the hype because there is a lot of hype right now. Um, and they're not able to assess what's going on in the market. And so I think definitely financial literacy is so important when engaging with new technology like this. Like you need to know what you're getting into and also have a why. Someone recently asked me like, okay, I want to get into this. I'm like, why? They're like, uh, cause you know, the celebrity, I said, uh-uh, <laughs> just because a celebrity is getting into this or you read something on Twitter, it doesn't mean that you just jump in and just, you know, right. put your money where you don't even understand where it's going. I'm like, make sure you have a solid reason because like I mentioned, this is a new space. A lot of things go up, a lot of things go down. And if your reason isn't strong enough or if you don't have a backup or if your portfolio is not diverse, then you're in a lot of trouble, right? And at this rate, there's nobody to call. Like you can't be yes. like, hey, um, I lost my Bitcoin. Like, can you? No, because it's not regulated. It's still being developed. And so I tell a lot of people, make sure you take your time with what's happening around and make sure that you just do your research. So I know that's a long answer to your initial question, but these are just a few thoughts. 
No, it was a great answer and was so, so helpful because I think it's really important to have those disclaimers and to understand that. And I loved what you said about it really being a long game because I think investing in general is a long game. I mean, the best best thing you can have when it comes to investing is time, especially mm. with something that is really volatile while kind of the regulations around all these things get squared away. So I think that that was super, super helpful. And as you mentioned right now, everything is in a bit of a downturn, bear market, which means just everything's going down. <laughs> Crypto is having a rough time. In my mind, applying kind of stock market logic where I think, okay, if you have it, then when things are low or when things are down, it's actually a great time to buy because you could mm -hmm. probably afford more. And eventually when it goes back up, like if you buy low and hold it, then when it goes back up, then hopefully that's when you can, you know, have something to leverage. Would you agree that that's also relevant for crypto? Like, can we apply similar investing strategies that we would apply to the stock market to crypto or should we have a different approach? Yes and no. Um, so your first point of yes, whenever the price of anything, especially something that you're really interested in, um, goes low and you're interested in buying, definitely buy a fair amount that you feel like it's comfortable for you. Um, and I tell people like have that learning period of time, right? I mean, except if you're like a high baller, like you're trying to like just jump in go ahead, do your thing. I'm not trying to stop you. <laughs> um, but if you're in a stage of just curiosity and learning, right, I think now is a great time to like buy in in a sense of say, okay, like I want to own X amount of a Bitcoin um, and just kind of go through the process. What does that look like? Like, what do I need to actually buy it? How does it work? How do I track it? Um, what are people within this ecosystem talking about? And so in, in, to regards to like stocks, obviously you always want to come in low, then when it goes up, either sell it or still hold it because then you have a profit. But if you buy when it's high and then sell when it's low, you're at a loss because you basically sold too late. And so that's something that, you know, with the stock, definitely it's kind of similar. But in the crypto market right now, you know, a lot of people get Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Like Bitcoin isn't blockchain technology. It's a type of um, currency on the blockchain. There are several different types of currency right now on the blockchain. Ethereum, um, Solana, um, there's a, a whole bunch, I can go naming them, but Bitcoin is one of the biggest because it's one of, it was the original and a lot of people have much more confidence in it, but it still has a long way to go. When it comes to Ethereum, those type of cryptocurrencies are different because you can actually build on top of it. And this is comes in like NFTs, right? Um, you can build dApps, decentralized applications, and you're able to either um, put up artwork, content, digital files on the blockchain and sell it um, to someone else. And you're able to buy it and all that transaction is recorded on, on the blockchain. And so when you look into like, okay, why are NFTs a thing, non-fungible token, it basically means that it's unique. You can't swap it for something else. So right now, a book, one Bitcoin, like I said in the beginning, equals one Bitcoin. There's nothing too special about it. When you get into the Ethereum blockchain and you you know either create an NFT and whatnot, that token is not fungible, meaning that you can't exchange it. So imagine, let's say I have a product purse and you had like you have a purse from Target. No, no offense to Target. Let's just throw that out there, Target. And I say, hey, like they're both black. Like let's exchange it. You're like, um, I, I'm like, this is product. Like I'm not. I'm the quality's not the same. 
So that's what it means not fungible, where it means like it's not exchange it's not exchangeable because it's unique, it's a unique asset. And so with NFTs, it brings in the technology of uh, showcasing that people are able to literally sell non-fungible tokens and you're able to prove that I own this thing. Uh, let me give you an example. Recently, I think I was going through an O2 case and I found something less from way back when, I think when you started a podcast, you have this mugs that you were selling. Um, oh that my says God. The tea's hot. Yes. <laughs> uh, or something like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is so cool. And so like, as someone who creates content for you, there are ways that you can, let's say, not reward people that believe in you early, uh, but let's say like, okay, I own one of those, but there's no way that I can prove that I own it right now because I don't even remember what the receipt is. If I lost it, I lost it. But if I had bought it through either blockchain or even through, you know, an NFT, it's like I have that in on record. Like no one can go in there and delete it. It's like, no, I was like, oh, this is a Potter or Bell's Black Girls. You can't tell me nothing because <laughs> here's the receipt. Um, and so even when it comes to the creator economy and creators, it's like creating NFTs is just a way of building that community or even rewarding people that believe in you earlier on. But now you're able to prove it because it's on the blockchain. Everyone can see it and you have basically receipts for it. That's so helpful. I think that that's especially pertinent for Black content creators. I mean, how often do we see Black content creators create yes. something amazing that then get stolen and appropriated and twisted yes. 10 ways to Sunday, that ownership and, and having technology that can like cement that ownership is and, really exciting. And that's what we see right now with a lot of people who had created memes, right? Like last year, a bunch of meme makers were like, okay, I'm going to put this on the blockchain and they sold it to like the highest bidder because like, oh, I created this years ago, but I never got credit or it was never shown the internet that this was my original idea, but now because people are like, okay, this is a person and now they want to kind of sell this asset, they're able to do so. And one of the cool things about selling, you know, NFTs right now is that whenever you can set royalties, right? So if I put 5%, however much in the future, if this mug or whatever it is, or digital art times up and it's worth maybe like a million dollars in the future, guess what? I'm getting 5% of that. And I really, mm. it's set up in the technology. I don't have to do anything, you know? And so when it comes to, how we create, especially online, to your point, there's a lot of things that we don't own. People talk about like, oh yeah, like I, you know, my audience, like you don't, Instagram can kick you out of their platform tomorrow and you can't even take your username with you. Like there are people who like your username on Twitter, Instagram is different because you, they can't take it with them. But it's like, if you have your address, your crypto address, you can take that with you on different platforms that are being built right now. And so there are a lot of things right now in Web2 that we're going through that people are like, huh, like, why is this this way? Why is it that we have a lot of ownership? Why is it that our data is being sold? And I know that's a conversation right now with, you know, Instagram and recently people just saying make Instagram, Instagram again. I'm like, well, why should Instagram listen to you though? It's a free platform. Like, yeah, Instagram doesn't care. They, yeah. they, 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 they don't care in terms of like, okay, yeah, like we allow you to come here and post, you know, see your friends sometimes barely. We allow you to monetize because obviously some people sell products and things like that. But when it comes to either listening to the community, there is no incentive of doing so because based on how they look at data and things like that, their whole goal is to keep you on their platform so they can sell ads. And so if they keep you through videos, guess what? They're going to keep doing videos. You know, it's because they want to make money. And so the videos mm -hmm. hold your attention, let you be on the app, keep scrolling at midnight. Guess what? It will transfer video 
maybe in the next five years if something else new comes in and it's black and white videos, that's all that's selling. And they're going to adapt to whatever the current situation of culture is because they want to make sure that, first of all, they're making money and they're making sure that their ad revenues are growing. And so it's interesting to see how people are going to keep on creating. But for right now, I'm like, okay, if you're a creator, you should definitely be looking at ways where you can diversify how, first of all, you connect with your community and also how you want to monetize the content that you're creating. Absolutely. And I mean, what I'm hearing from all of these amazing things that you're describing is that we're seeing not only emerging technology, but emerging assets. So what Mm -hmm. can be considered an asset, that definition is widening, where before assets were like stocks, bonds, house. (laughs) That's it. There are now emerging types of assets that we can hopefully leverage, but a lot of that does involve being an early adopter, which can be a little bit scary. Yes. And I, I love that, you know, you brought that up because recently I was looking online to research for something and looking up the 10 most richest people in the world. Obviously, they're all guys. And in America, they're all, most of them are white men. I think there are a couple of other folks. Um, but the top, out of, I think five out of six of them were people or owners of companies that are in tech. So from Jeff Bezos to Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, all those people. And I was like, wow, like technology is really the gateway to building long lasting wealth for our generation. Back in the day, I mean, mm-hmm. it was oil, real estate. Yep. That's cool too. But right now it is technology. And like looking at the list, I didn't really see anyone into real estate. And I'm not going to state, please invest, get your bags. But I do feel like technology is the biggest driver for wealth in the next few years. And those who are able to either hone in on the skills that they have now, whether it is building uh, tech companies, working in a tech company, or even leveraging technology to build in whatever way, definitely have better advantage of building some type of wealth long term. Because as we've seen, technology obviously has its own shortcomings, but it's also a vehicle that has helped a lot of us connect with other people, make wealth to a certain degree. But now that things are also changing, I think being able to be at the forefront of that change can really put us in a good position. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about what we can do to kind of position ourselves for that. So earlier we were talking about cryptocurrency and what it is. Um, so say somebody is like, okay, I'm interested. I'm going to try it out. I'm going to kind of do my my research to understand how can they get started? So you mentioned that using like Cash App can be a way to uh, invest in crypto or to start with a wallet. Are there any reputable platforms that you would recommend people check out to get started? Yeah. So when it comes to just entering the space, like I said, having a why of why you want to enter investing, that's great. But also knowing that it's going to take a while to see that return. And then also what kind of assets, right? Are you looking into investing in just cryptocurrency? There's some people who just have crypto, whatever type that is, and they just leave it there to gain interest in um, and all that kind of stuff. And some people are just buying digital assets like NFTs mm-hmm. and things like that, whether that's through art, yeah. photography, music, in that sense, or flipping it. And then there are people who are building um, what through and crypto companies, which has been interesting to see because there are a lot of um, this, you know VC companies, and, and that's a lot, another part of I guess pushback that people don't like. They're like, well, if it's centralized or decentralized, why do we have VC companies invest? And I'm like, because they want to make money. Yes, like I, exactly. It, for me, I'm like, whatever it takes to kind of like build first, because not everyone has that startup like cash built in it. So if the VC say like, okay, we're going to invest in, make sure you evaluate those deals. But um, one of the biggest VC firms. Um, A16Z recently announced their 
third fund, I believe, or the fourth fund in crypto investments. And I think it was up to $4.5 billion. Um, in total, it's now $7.6 billion. They're investing in Web3 and crypto startups. And so you look at that, you're like, huh. $7.6 billion, that is a lot of money, right? But also looking at their track record, they're one of the first VC firms to invest in Facebook, they've invested in Uber all early on. So there's something that they're seeing apparently looking at their track record that takes a while for a lot of other people to see. And so when I look at the trends of like technology, I'm like, okay, where's the money? Always follow the money. So I'm like, yes. what, where, where are VC pouring money into? And even now within web two companies like Google, Microsoft, Nike, they're also hiring for this roles that has to do with blockchain technology and crypto. So when it comes to this part of like, okay, I want to get in, like I said, number one, know your why. Number two, um, know what you want you want to get out of it. Is it more of building a yeah. career, building a business, or are you just in here to learn? I think just being in it to learn is great because knowledge mm-hmm. is power. Uh, it's one thing to be on the outside and speculate and point fingers and say this is all scam and blah, blah, blah. But tonight, <laughs> things you get into it and say, hey, like, I want to learn what's possible, right? Um, and if you get into it and like, okay, this is not for me, I told people that's totally fine. But now you're not ignorant of what's happening around you. And if your sister or your cousin or your grandma is like, hey, what about that Bitcoin? What does that even mean? You can tell them what it means, right? <laughs> but then if a future, if an opportunity comes in the future for you to leverage crypto for your business or um, for the content you're creating, then you are aware of the opportunity. You're not just you're not going to dismiss it and be like, oh, it's nothing. Because now you've done your homework. You've done your research. So I tell people all the time, know why you're getting into this know what you want to get out of this. And number three, I think the important thing that I love about this world right now is the focus on community, right? Like a lot of things that I've learned was in the context of community, right? Whether that's an NFT community or a tech community, whatever that looks like, because sometimes it can feel overwhelming and you're like, okay, am I the one that's, you know, dumb or is this not clicking until you find a community that, oh yeah, okay, this is not, just me. Okay, we're all trying to learn this, but it's kind of hard. And it's something that's different. So I can be patient with myself and not feel like I'm not getting it on the first try. And so those are a few things that I would tell people like, yes, definitely know why I get into this, what you want to get out of it and try to learn in the context of community. Absolutely. Being in safe spaces where you can ask questions with no no shame or worries. <laughs> yes, so needed. Absolutely. So we talked a little bit about Web3. I would love to circle back to that to talk a little bit more about kind of the difference between where we're at. You mentioned we're kind of in a Web 2.5 space and Web3. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about the differences there and what we can anticipate from that shift into kind of the next iteration of the internet. Of course. So Web3 or Web 3.0 is a term that was coined by Gavin Wood, who is a computer scientist and also the co-founder of Ethereum, which is another cryptocurrency. This whole philosophy of Web3 is basically saying that this is going to be the next phase of the internet built on decentralized technology like blockchain. And cool, like that sounds great, but what does that actually mean? (laughs) And so in order to understand where we're trying to go, we have to kind of remember where we came from. When Mm -hmm. the internet was first created, we look at that as web one. That was mostly read. We call that read because people just, you know, read things online. A lot of things were static. Um, You couldn't really do much, right? Um, That was from like the late 90s to the early 2000s. And then when it entered into about 2004, kind of like when Facebook was created into like probably like 
2020. That's kind of, we define that as web too, because that was the creation of like the creator economy. So people could read and write, meaning that they can yeah. upload their content, they can monetize, mm-hmm. it was interactive. Like social media, like really blew up. And now in this third phase of internet web three, we're saying you can read, write, but also own the things that you're creating. Going back to our conversation about if you're a creator, if you're creating memes, songs, posts, whatever, it's like, you can register now, like, I own this, and it lives on the blockchain. And for a lot of people, there's a lot of discussion of, like, okay, you know, like, blockchain might not be the technology to do this because X, Y, Z thing's not right. And I'm like, okay, cool. But we can all agree that the internet has changed since its conception, and it's going continue going to change. Yes. So what does that look like, right? If it's not blockchain, it's going to be something else. You know, and that's why I tell people, like, look at the big picture, right? Um, because there are certain problems that we're facing in Web2, meaning that being able to own our data, even our online personalities, like, it's it's hard because right now, if I ask you, Les, like, what online do you own? What digital asset do you own in, like, Web2? What would you say? I would say my website. Yes, my that's literally it. website. Like your domain name podcast. Exactly. That's about it. <laughs> your domain name is almost the only thing that you own because your yeah. you know, Instagram name, your Twitter mm-hmm. name, like you don't own that. Like that belongs to, you know, the corporations and things like that. So yeah. is there a future, is there a version of the internet where you own your online identity, right? Or your online assets? And that's what Web3 is pushing towards. Yes, everything right now is not perfect. And it's definitely not it. But those are things that people are thinking through of like, okay, Okay, what would that look like um, in the future? But also from a term of even being, if you wanted to be an anonymous, like if I didn't want to always have my first name, my last name on every single thing, how can I do that? And it's like, okay, I can do that through a wallet, right? And so there's just different, I think, problems that we see right now that we say, okay, what does a new or a better internet look like and how can we build that? And that's kind of like the philosophy of like Web3. And like I mentioned, we're not fully in it yet. There's a lot of things that need to be done. And that's why we need more people learning about this so they can bring their own solutions and lived experience to create that future that we're all thinking through right now. Absolutely. That sounds like a very user-first space, which is is really different from where we currently are because right Mm -hmm. now it feels like everything is very platform-first or very you know, advertiser first. Earlier, we were talking about advertisements and our data and how companies use our personal data to sell us things. And so I'm also very curious about the future of business. What will businesses do if and when we shift to this space where our data is then ours to own and they can't advertise to us in the same way or they can't use our personal information in the same way because we have more control over what's shared? That's going to be interesting. Yeah, I think that a lot of, even what I'm seeing right now is that a lot of businesses, it's sort of like you clearly just illustrated being platform first and being that driven will be community first, right? Or creator driven of saying the creator saying like, okay, this is the type of content I want to create. If you want to collaborate with me or partner with me, here's how we can do it, right? And I think that yeah. with NFTs and things like that, people have been able to go from just an audience to actual community and actual friends actually like what they do. So for example, your audience can be anyone listening, but your community is those who post on, you know, your your episode, those who are commenting, resharing. That's they what have the mug. Right <laughs> yeah, they have the mug, they're buying the t-shirts. <laughs> and as a creator, you were like, okay, how can I 
not only reward, but like show like gratitude for those people who truly believe in what I do, right? And yeah. so a way people have done, you know, things like this, either partner up with different like corporations or companies and say like, hey, um, let's give X amount of whatever it is. Let's say it's it's a new, I don't know why I'm saying product, a product contact me, a product first or whatever it is, or a line or th- a merch line or things like that. So it's like you're rewarding your community for being part of the community. Um, and so I think community engagement is going to be so key because everyone's going to have a way of kind of tokenizing either access to what they do or their content. And we already saw that earlier with um, there's a platform, I'm kind of blanking of what it is right now, but there's a platform that allows you to connect with community, whether that's either through monthly, I think, payment and all that kind of stuff. But the name is just the tip of my tongue. I don't remember. Uh, but not everyone is a fan of that. So that, but that's a concept. Like, yeah, like we want people who are the most engaged, the people who are um, champions for your content and your brand and everything that you do to have access to you in a certain level where not everybody does because they put in an extra effort. So I, I think in the future, a lot of people are going to have power because they're able to connect with their community and build a community um, that has a strong presence that brand come to you and now you like go to them and say like, Hey, like this is what, you know, we want you to do. And now they're the ones coming to you and say, Hey, we love the authenticity of your brand and your community. And this was how we would love to collaborate with you. Um, so there's a power shift that's going to happen. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. Something that I pay a lot of attention to, obviously, as a content creator, and I'm sure you you do as well, is just the the creator space. And I do often look at, okay, for those people who have been creating content for like a long time, those really OG bloggers, YouTubers, people who are like still in the game, what are they doing now? And a lot of mm. them are either starting separate companies yep. or getting equity in the companies that they work with. And that's something that I could definitely see more creators doing moving forward. I mean, that's what I would like to do. That's ownership. Yeah. I'm not trying to have <laughs> sponsored posts for the rest of my Forever. life. Like, I want to own some stuff. Give me some, yeah. some equity in one of these brands. But I think it could be really interesting in the future if we see that even happen at the community level where content creators have these really engaged communities and communities can almost buy in to have equity into what the creators are creating, something that's really almost circular and like regenerative where the content creators and the community kind of feed each other in an interesting way. That's what it's actually here. It's called a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, where basically, you know, a group of people can come together and say, like, you know, this is what we want to do. And here are the funds and community have they have a say on how those funds are used or distributed or even like leveraging ideas of, of how they want to move forward. And so with DAOs. Basically, you have tokens and tokens are a way of governance, right? Of saying, okay, if I have X amount of tokens, this is how I can either propose um, a proposal of something that should be done or even share ideas. And it's like then people vote on those things and then move Mm -hmm. forward um, from that conversation. So it's not just one sided of like, oh, look at me, I'm the creator and, you know, this is my app or, you know, my business or whatever. It's kind of like, no, like we are all co-creators in this. And obviously, yes, because we're human and we're complex beings, 
yes, there are some issues that comes into that. Because let's say if you have the platform and people are saying, okay, we can't allow people to say X, Y, and Z, then it's like, let's put it up for a vote. And if someone has a lot of tokens, guess what? They have a lot of votes. And so how does that work? But to your point, yes, in the future, like right now, if you look up DAOs, um, decentralized autonomous organizations, um, that's kind of the key concept where it's just not one person that's in charge, but it's like there are other people um, within community who have a voice to what's happening and how either a certain company or organization can be structured and how they go about, you know, using the money in the treasury and things like that. That is so interesting. Yeah. I will definitely have to look into DAOs and like understand that better because I do think that the way we interact with one another, the way we interact with content, it's definitely shifting, especially, especially with everybody being so fed up with Instagram. Yes. It's it's so eye-opening to see that people now are even more open. And so even with DAOs, like there are specific DAOs for different things. Like there's a DAO for just maybe investing. And mm-hmm. all you guys do is put in your money. And if you see like a good NFT project or an artist or someone that you want to invest in, and then that's where the treasury goes into. Um, I remember last year there was a DAO called Constitution DAO where the whole point was to raise money to buy a copy of the U.S. Constitution. Um, and they did. I think they raised over $40 million from like every different oh people from across the world. It was crazy. I was watching the bid live on YouTube. I'm like, there's no way this is happening. Uh, but ultimately they lost because they didn't raise enough money to take care of the actual artifact constitution. Mm-hmm. You have to have a way of upkeeping that piece of history. Yeah. Um, so it went to someone else. But just to see that like literally happening, like it was on CNN, like literally everyone's like people, $40 million in a amount of weeks. Like, some people yeah, can't even raise that money regular in, a, people. In, a, in a year or so. But the fact that there was a common interest that people were able to come together around, it's like, hey, we want to do X, Y, Z. Literally, blockchain technology enabled them to do that in a sense where, okay, it's transparent. You can see the address of where the money is coming from, how much was funded and things like that. And they had a representative going, literally, to place a bid for the U.S., a copy of the U.S. Constitution. And I was like okay, there's something here happening. Like, I don't, I don't want to say it fully, but there's something here happening. And so I think that as we continue to see people adopting, you know, this emerging technology that people can create ways, honestly, to, to fund different types of projects, to invest in um, companies that maybe they can't invest in by themselves. And so you may have, you know, families coming together, forming a DAO, friends coming together, forming a DAO um, to create um, wealth um, long term. So I think it's really exciting to see where that goes. I think that that's super exciting. And I think that some of the more traditional forms of building wealth, not to say that they don't work, they clearly do, but things that our community specifically has been disenfranchised from being able to take advantage of. I think it's really interesting to see all of these things emerge that we, I mean, we have access to the internet just like everybody else. It's more about filling that knowledge gap, which conversations like this are doing. I think it could really help us close some important gaps. Yes, all of that. And something I tell people is like, it pays to be early, um, to be mm-hmm. early and right. And me thinking through my career, because obviously blockchain and Web3, this isn't my day job. I'm in the cloud space. <laughs> but I kind of talked to myself, like, if I had a chance in 2004, 2005 to invest in something like obviously Facebook or any of these companies, like, wouldn't I actually want the option to know that something like that exists? And this is what talking to a lot of people who are older than me and who are in this space, like this is what it feels like to be early in something that's, first of all, 
A lot of people are speculating, which is good because we need discourse. We need people calling now that things are not right. Uh, but also like seeing the long-term change that it can have to shape the society because Facebook is shaped our society. And when it comes to information, access and different things, yes, some of it was really, really good. And some of it is really, really bad, but ultimately um, it really changed a lot of things for a lot of people. And so looking forward, how can we identify those new technologies or new systems that can really change how we interact with each other, share our data, um, learn online, um, and how can we, as people who are usually marginalized and late, be early in this? Knowing that, you know, being early also comes with a risk, right? Being innovative comes yes. with a risk of, okay, this might work out, but what if it does, right? What if it actually works out and we're able to lead and build in the future that we want to see? And so that's why I tell people like lean towards your curiosity, right? Obviously, you know, there are risks involved, but I'm an optimist. So I'm always saying what could happen, right? And so I'm excited to see what the future holds. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that relates perfectly to what we were talking about at the beginning of just understanding your risk tolerance, asking questions to make super informed decisions. And I'm almost thinking, you know, as we talk about the timing of things, like for us millennials, yes, the timing for a lot of things has just not been great. And it was oh, just like yeah. outside of our control, you know, buying a house in 2002 would have been great. I was 12, so I wasn't doing that, <laughs> you know, for a lot of us. We came out of school. We went into school right when you took out a lot of debt to do so. And we came out when there were no jobs. And now we're trying to buy houses and look at what's happening. And, and those are things that we couldn't control because you can't help when you're born, right? Yeah. But this could be a scenario where maybe maybe we do have good timing for for something. Yeah. <laughs> Not financial advice, but just again. And, <laughs> you know, to that point, obviously, there, there's been a lot of things where you look back and like, yes, we are being a millennial right now, especially, you know, a, a uh, much older millennial there looks like there's a lot of disadvantages, but being able to, I think, grow up um, to some extent on the internet, like information and knowledge is right at our fingertips. Yes, it can feel overwhelming yes. and people are tired of the access to um, technology and information, but I would rather live in this area right now, knowing that I can connect with people, I can literally learn from anyone. Um, but then at any time in the world, like, yes, I know it's not perfect, but opportunities are out there, right? I think the biggest thing is access, right? How do you know how to get to that point of opportunity? And I feel like for me and you, people who are creating content like this, this is how you get the access to those opportunities, right? So someone listening right now can be like, oh my gosh, like I could never, 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 ever work in tech, but um, I might want to start a business that is blockchain related and actually find funding. Or someone can say, okay, I'm not an entrepreneur, but I am a creator, like I'm an artist. I can put my art on the blockchain and see what happens and, you know, sell those. And there's just so many different ways that I think wealth can be created right now that has never really existed before. And it takes a lot to change your way of thinking, right? Because I feel like a lot of people have a fixed mindset of, you know, naming all the things that you mentioned, like, okay, you know, I didn't have an advantage of XYZ or I didn't have access to this. You know, for me, I can say, oh, I'm an immigrant. So there's a lot of things against me. Um, or you can have a growth mindset and say, yes, those are all legitimate things. Yes, those are all things that want to limit me. But at the same time, I have the power to acquire knowledge. I have the power to acquire wealth. And I can do what's in within my own control to go forward to those things. Like I said, for me, like I never knew I wanted to work in tech. But I'm like, 
let me keep taking those steps, right? And now, like, I'm not the only one working in tech. My brother works in tech. My sister is thinking about working in tech. I have a podcast that helps and empowers people to work in tech and to obviously make money through working in this industry. So I think for a lot of us who, yes, there's so much going on in the world and it can feel really heavy. I think it's important to also shift our perspective on how we think and say, no, like I, I do have what it takes, you know, to shift my wealth perspective, knowing that, yes, there are systems that are against us, um, systemic oppression and so many other things. But no, it, it, there are things that I can do within my control um, that can change things, not just for me, but also for my family. Yes, 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 yes. I could not agree more. Thank you so much for that. Just that reframe is is so important to have. And I'm very, very grateful that you said that. So thank you, Grace. Of course. So Grace, as we close out here, I would love to just chat about what's up next for you. How can we support you? Please tell us more about your great podcast, Tech Unlocked, and where we can find it. How can we keep in touch with you? Yeah. So I'm on interwebs everywhere and anywhere, um, mostly <laughs> creating content, podcast content, um, Tech Unlocked, which aims to demystify the tech industries for black and brown folks so they can step into this field. And I started podcast in 2019, a year or so after getting my job at Microsoft, because I had a lot of folks reaching out by LinkedIn, on Twitter, by DMs, just curious about what it means to work in tech. And it felt like there was this mystery of what it looked like. And even now, um, I know things are changing because you have all this, you know, tech influencers on TikTok, whatnot, which is great because we more... <laughs> But answering questions that were like, okay, if I, if I don't code, you know, how can I work in tech? Or if I'm a nurse trying to transition, what does that look like? And creating content in a platform that is comfortable to me. Because I'm like, I could have gone on YouTube, but I was like, that's not, that's my, that's not my tip right now. Like, I'll just stick to what I know. <laughs> um, having yeah. conversations was a way to elevate stories of black and brown folks within tech who are doing incredible work, a lot of incredible work and working on also emerging technologies. And so I'm um, fab episode talking about data science, quantum computing, um, virtual reality, um, blockchain, NFTs, and all through the context for me as being relatable, right? Because you hear about these things and it's like, why should I care? So anytime I do an episode, I'm like, okay, why should people listen to this, right? Like what benefit does it have on their life? What impact could it have on their life? Um, and what are their choices, right? If you listen to an episode on data science, you're like, okay, yeah, like I want to take the next step. Um, sharing resources from either the guests that I have or sharing resources from whatever I've researched is a way that I try to do that. Because I really want to see tech being more diverse, which I know is going to take more than one podcast. Uh, but I think <laughs> conversations have a lot of power. And so even if it's just uh, motivating people or making them uh, feel some type of way in terms of being inspired to do something different, I would love to see that. So that's the podcast, Second Locked. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter. And for me, if you're looking to learn more about Web3, blockchain um, technology in a way that's relatable, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Grace Jones and on TikTok at Grace Jones. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for the work that you do just around educating and helping our community feel supported in tech. It does go a long way and it is super important. We will also have all of your information linked in the show notes to make it really easy for everybody to find you, to tune in, to follow. So thank you so much, Grace. Thank you so much, Liz, for having me. Like I said, this is a full circle moment and I love that you're using your platform to 
educate people about the future and give them the opportunity to look at creating wealth in a different way. So thanks for having me. So there was a lot of information in this episode that it's really important for us to understand because it is the future and the future is here. So you're going to want to keep in touch with Grace for all things tech. Head to the show notes so you can follow her, tune into her podcast and join her community. I have to shout out our incredible sponsors who really hook us up with generous discount codes and offers. So make sure you visit the show notes to get hooked up from our brand partners who help us keep things going around here. Now, next week, we're talking about getting paid what we're worth, making career pivots and navigating salary negotiations, because what we earn is a very important part of the financial well-being conversation. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you rate, review and subscribe. It helps us so much. Thank you for tuning in and I'll talk to you next week.